to the podcast of the Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout his life and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney, although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. We are just a lesson away from the end of this wonderful study of the book of Daniel, which class teacher Doug Brady has titled, The Mystery of the Days, is taken from Daniel chapter 12 and verses 8 through 12. Doug states in his presentation that the 12th chapter of Daniel has more prophecy information than he had ever realized, and you will have proof of that as you listen to this lesson. The Believer's Bible class is part of the First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Our class meets every Sunday morning at 9.15 in the LaVorne Hall, located on the lower level of the new Worship Center building. We love to have visitors, and you will find this to be a great class with really friendly folk. Well, Doug is at the podium ready to begin, so let's go into the classroom of the Believer's Bible class. Here now is our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. The last time we met, we considered the first half of the last conversation in the book of Daniel. Now, if I finish this lesson today, we'll have one more lesson on Daniel. If I don't, which is projected, and Jerry believes will be the case, then we'll have two more. But let me tell you, before we start, I used to think that the prophecy in the book of Daniel that was the height of everything, the pinnacle of the prophecies given to Daniel, was Daniel 9, 24 through 27. I have changed my mind. Daniel 12, 6 through 12, and we've already done the first part, it, to me now is the pinnacle. I would challenge you, get on the internet and look for a prophecy chart, a prophecy timeline. You will look through there and you will see at the exact end of the tribulation will come the exact start of the millennial kingdom over and over. If you were to go back and look at some of the PowerPoints that I have prepared in this class, you'll find the same thing. Everyone leaves out the interval. Interval is key. So with that, let's pray and then we'll read a little background. Father, we thank you for the time that we could come here today. I pray that you will speak through me. It won't be what I want to say, but what you want said. Now, Father, I pray that as you work in our hearts today, have the Holy Spirit teach us, help us to understand, give us insight so that we can put the puzzle together. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Looking first in review at Daniel 12, 5 through 7, it says, Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others were standing, that is two other angelic beings, one on this bank of the river and the other bank of the river. And the one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river. Now, let me set that stage for you again. He's at the Tigris River. He's looking on. Gabriel, the God's messenger angel, is standing either on the water or hovering right above it. Now, two additional angelic beings come. One stands on the left-hand side of the Tigris River, and one stands on the right-hand side. And now, one of those angelic beings who just came... Ask Gabriel a question. Now, remember, we talked about this. I think he's asking for two reasons. Number one, he wants to know the answer to the question this angelic being does. But he also wants Daniel to hear the answer. And so he asks this question. How long will it be until the end of these wonders? And we thought wonders was best translated either extraordinary or unprecedented events. Some of them will not be good. Wonders sounds good, but it's unprecedented events. And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left hand towards heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. Now, you look and you see the first question here 
is the one we showed you. How long will it be? That's the question that he's asking. Now, if you want to know a time period, it's kind of like geometry. I know everybody in here loved geometry when you studied it. <laughs> there are certain things you have to know and certain things you can know if you know the base things. What do I mean by that? If I was to say to you, Chris, it's going to be an hour, well, when would that happen? When? You don't know. But if I told you the end point of when that hour would end, would you know then? Yeah. You see, with a time frame, when you ask a time question, you either got to know the time period or the beginning and the beginning or the end, either one, but you got to know one of the three. Then you can figure out the third. Here, he's asking him, how long will it be? And that's that first question I want you to see. Now, the next thing we need to look at and remind ourselves is this statement that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. Now, we all know this. Tom, do you remember how many years that is? How many? Do you remember how many months? 42. Do you remember how many days? 1,260. Now, I want you all to remember that number today, 1260. That's going to be important to remember because we're going to be doing... You see, now, Tom, you've got to take a lesson from Don here. When you're uncertain, ask your wife. <laughs> it always works best that way, I have found. Always works. Well, I, well, wait a second. Wait a second. I don't see always on your side here. It always works best when you do, but I'm not always seeing that happen. Sometimes I just go out on my own. Yes, I've noticed that. And so, it's 1260 days. Now, then Gabriel tells him the end point. And that's what I want you to see next. As soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. So that three and a half years ends, that 1260 days ends, when what? We talked about the holy people being Israel... And what is the event that happens? It means that, or this event that's going to occur is very, very important to see, I think. And it's the idea that the self-centered rebellion of Israel will be shattered. What it really is, is Israel will come to recognize their absolute need of the Messiah they've rejected. When they do that, and they say, blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord. That's the end of the great tribulation. And it will be exactly three and a half years from a point we're going to talk about here in just a second. The midpoint of that tribulation period. And we'll talk about those events in just a second. So, let's now look at Daniel 12, 8 and 9. As for me, now, I want you to notice here. The angel asked Gabriel the question. Now, Daniel says, wait a second, wait a second. I heard what he said, but I don't understand this. Can somebody explain this to me? He wants to know the answer. And so he says, as for me, I heard, but could not understand. So I said, my Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up to the end of time. So, Daniel said he heard, but he didn't understand. Now, we're going to get to this word understanding here in just a second in the next verse. But I want you to, to get the meaning of this. This word understanding in the Hebrew has two parts. One, it means to perceive, to recognize what the truth is. But then the second part is to act on that truth. Ford, let me give you the best example I can. When it comes to the salvation of a man, you have to recognize that you're a sinner and that Jesus died for you. But if that's all you recognize, you aren't saved. Satan recognizes those things. He was right there when it happened. So you recognize you're a sinner. You recognize Jesus died for you to save you. But then you act on that truth by receiving him, asking him to come into your heart. Then you'll be saved. If you don't do that, you're going to see some of the things, terrible things you may have to go through. But I want you to see as we do this, now it sounds as if Gabriel's being a little harsh. Daniel, go your way. 
It sounds to me like he's saying, just get the heck out of here. That's not what it means. This is an idiom in the Hebrew. And what it means is this. This is not for you to know. Well, what do you mean? You're given the prophet a prophecy that he's not to understand, not to know what it means? Absolutely. You just, your job is to write it down the way I'm telling you, Daniel. Let me, let me try and explain how this is happening here and how, what God is doing here. Do you notice how he says it's sealed up and it's concealed? Anybody in here like to work jigsaw puzzles? My family loved it. We had a table designated in our den where you would lay out. And, you know, I think the biggest we ever worked was a thousand pieces, a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. That's pretty large. But I want you to imagine this. Daniel is sitting at that table and God comes in with the box with the thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. He takes two handfuls and lays them down on the table and says, here you go, Daniel. And there's about 200 pieces there. Now, how easy is it going to be to put those 200 pieces together? What percentage do you think of those are not going to match? But he's working on it. And he gets frustrated. He gets up and leaves. And then Zechariah comes down. He's written Zechariah uh, chapters 11 through 14. And here's another 200. Now there's 400 pieces on the table. You may find some matches there. But he gets up and leaves. And Jesus comes and says, now wait a second. Let me help you understand this. And here comes another 200 pieces after the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. Now, Don, just so you know for certain here, the Olivet Discourse means the discourse that occurred on the Mount of Olives, not the discourse that contained all of it. I just want you to remember that now. All right, I appreciate it. All right, I wanted to set you straight on that. Now, after Jesus has to go back into heaven because the Holy Spirit needs to come, Paul comes along, and in 2 Thessalonians, here's another 200 pieces. Now there's 800 pieces on the table. Now we can really get some work done. But then comes John with the book of the Revelation. And the final 200 pieces come. And now you have all those pieces, a thousand pieces. You can really figure out what matches. But there would be one thing that you might, if you had, it would make it a little easier. What is that? The box, right? The box. Well, well, the picture on the box. You're right. That You know, lawyers need to be explicit, don't they, Dan? All right, now, so you got the picture on the box. You know what I compare that to? Being able to see Israel becoming a nation, being able to see Israel taking Jerusalem and making it their capital and having the embassy there and everything ready to build the temple. We now have the box. We don't have any more revelation. We don't have any more inspiration, but what we do have is heightened illumination. And he's given that to us. And we are living in a very special time. And I wanted you to see that so that we could go and understand now in verse 10. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. But the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but those who have insight will understand. Now, the first thing, word I want you to look at here is this word, many. Dawn, I have a question for you. I'm ready for you. No, Dawn, this was way above your pay grade. Would it change the meaning of that if it said the many? Yes. Ah, how would it change it? Because it would become a, more like a proper noun. Yes, and who would it refer to? Israel. If it just has many without the, does that necessarily refer to Israel? Let's give you an example. If we were to look in Daniel 12, 2, it says many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. Those to, it's talking about people in general, human beings. But you go down to verse 3, it says, Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the exposed heaven. And those who lead the many, that is Israel, to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You see, the definite article makes... So this is not... If we go back now to uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, many is not preceded by the definite article. So what will happen to the many... Well, it says, many will be purged, purified, and refined. Now, you got to take this in context. What time period is it talking about? The end time. You could say it's the seven years. You could even argue, and probably more properly, the three and a half years. Many 
will be purged, purified, and refined. Now, those are three verbs together, and I want you to understand a little bit what they mean and, and what they're saying. Purged really means to be purified. And it is of he fills stem, and he fills stem in Hebrew is reflexive. In other words, he dressed himself. That's the way you'd say it in English. All you have to do is put that one verb in Hebrew and he fills stem, and it means he dressed himself. He threw himself down. It's reflexive. The one who's being the purging is the person himself doing it. What is he doing? He's making a decision whether or not to receive Jesus as his Savior. He's making a decision. Now, the next two verbs are different. The one purified really means to be made white. To be made white. That is passive. It's not the subject having the action on himself there. Someone else. And who's doing it? God's doing it. Now, and refined. It's in the nephil stem. It is also passive. It means to be tested or to be tried. Now, think about this a second. Don, who's doing the testing or the trying of these people who have received Jesus and be made white? God is. In fact, all of the judgments and testing are going on to the tribulation period. Who's doing it? God. Some people want to say, oh, no, it's not God at the start. Baloney. I would like to say a stronger word, but baloney. That's just not true. That's a violation of the scripture. Now, I say that. Some of you say, why are you making such a big point of it? Well, people want to change the scripture and they want to say that we're going through the tribulation and we are not. The church is not. Tribulation is reserved for unbelievers. So why is, is, is Daniel asking? Let's look at this. He wants to understand what's going on. And there's this important part of understanding. Now, the wicked will act wickedly. That Hebrew word, wicked or wickedly, means someone who is enslaved by sin or someone who is in rebellion to God. And in this verse, it's both. That's this wicked. They're going to act wickedly. Why are they acting wickedly? Well, the next, the next phrase tells you, and none of the wicked will understand. That's that warning of understanding again. It means to perceive the truth and then act upon the truth. Now, this is important to see, and we're seeing it in our lifetimes. We saw it in Jesus' lifetimes, but we're really going to see it in this period of time. Here's the way it works. If you understand the truth, and who is the truth? What will happen to you, you will be set free. If you don't understand the truth and act upon it, what will happen to you? You will be enslaved. What is enslaving you? Sin. Now, Doug, that sounds awfully strong. How can you really say that? Well, let me show you. It wasn't me who said it. It was a fellow named Jesus. And you might want to look at his words in John 8, 34. And it, it says... Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. In fact, in this period, their ignorance of the gospel and the freedom it provides, I believe will cause a universal acceptance of slavery, not just spiritual slavery, physical slavery. Well, how do you know that? Well, you look in the book of Revelation, and there's so many answers there. In Revelation 6.15, it says, Then the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Now, that's a term that comes from Rome. Slave and free men. There's going to be slaves and free men. And they're going to... Now, are we starting to see slavery start coming back in our time? It's very strong. Now, I don't mean remnants of something in the past in our nation. I'm talking about actual slavery. And unfortunately, the main tenets of those are young boys and girls. And it's profane. But it's happening. Even to the... Well, let's not go any farther on that. But I want you to see that we need to, to see what the many are going to do. So let's go to the next passage. Many... What will they? They're going to be purged, purified, and refined. And what will be the result? Those who have insight will understand. Those who see it 
will act upon it. Well, that brings up a question. You know, like if Julie was to tell me, Doug, you've got so many faults. Does that mean 10 or 100 or 1,000 or 100,000? How many faults are there? I'm sure she will have a few that she can point out to me on the way home or the way to the restaurant today at lunch bunch. But the fact is, how many are the many that is going to be saved? Not that many or, you know, a many meaning, well, when we have many people here today, we got 120 or 130. Is that what we're talking about? Well, is there any way we could find out? Revelation 7, the lady says, verse 9. Good look there, Don. Let's see what John says. After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude. Great multitude? Well, that's just many. But how many is that? Oh, which no one could count. Now, that's a lot. That's a whole bunch of a lot. If you can't count them. Uh, so much account from every nation and all tribes and all peoples and all tongues. Now, somebody want to say the only people saved during the tribulation is Jews. Is that right? No. What does it say? Every nation, all tribes, all. That sounds pretty inclusive that it's everybody. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches were in their hands. They were crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, right there, I want you to stop a second. I have read commentators that say, well, yeah, they're talking about so many you can't count, but that's all the people that have always been saved. To the whole history of time, they say, those people have been saved. All they have to do is read on. That's all they have to do, because look what starts in verse 13. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they and where have they come from? And I said to him, my Lord, you know, and he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lord. You see that they washed and they were made white. You see again, how reflexive action and then passive action, they were made white by the blood of Jesus, the blood of the lamb. Now, this of course does include Jews who accept their Messiah. But this is talking about all of the people who come to know him and who die during the tribulation. There will be others, both Gentile and Jews, who accept Messiah as their God of their life, who don't die during the tribulation. Not as many who died, but there will be some. Yes, Mark. How do you reconcile in the scripture where Jesus says, Narrow is the way, and few thereof find it. And here you have a multitude which no one can count. Because if you put also the, multi, the group of people who re- reject, they're going to be even larger. Wouldn't that be to the church? Too? That, that yeah, that, that, well, he was speaking of the church, I think. I'm not sure. Let's, let me think about that. I want to go on to the key point now. Daniel 12, verse 11 and 12. From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. And you say, wait a second. We've gone over this. Time, times half a time. Three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. Somebody's made a mistake. Can't be 1,290. But then again, does the Holy Spirit speaking through Gabriel to Daniel make a mistake? No. 1,290 days. And then he's going to go on. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. What have we got here? If we know that the tribulation, the second half is 1,260 days, you've got a 30-day period and a 45-day period, or a total of 75 days that's got to fit in somewhere. Now, the opinions on this among commentators and scholars are about as many as people who have belly buttons. In fact, there were only two people who don't have belly buttons. Adam and Eve, right? Everybody else did. So they are the opinions. Now, you've got this period of extra 75 days. That means we know the second half of the tribulation is 1,260 days. So you're either going to put that 75 days at the start, or you're going to put that 75 days at the end. It's got to be one or the other. 
So are there reputable scholars, let's say, that put it at the start? Yes. There's a guy whose works I refer to a lot and I look at. His name is M.S. Mills. And uh, he believes that you should put it at the start. I prepared a little chart from his stuff. He does it with a countdown. The tribulation starts, there's 2,520 days. That's just 1,260 times two. Then the temple will be rededicated. I think you remember when we studied that in, in the eighth chapter of Daniel, 2,300 days before the end of the tribulation. He then says the mark of the beast will occur at 1,335 days, the abomination of desolation at 1,290 days, the great tribulation, the middle point, is 1,260, and then the return of Jesus at zero days, seven years. I have great respect for this man, but I just think he's wrong. And there are a few people who would agree with that, like Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who I put a great deal of, of respect in. My opinion... As I've studied this, and you know, it's interesting, God worked it out that he gave me two weeks to study for this particular lesson. In my opinion, the most respected scholars place the additional time period, or the interval as I like to call it, at the conclusion of the three and a half years. In other words, there is an interval between the end of the tribulation and the start of the millennial kingdom. Seventy-five days. Seventy-five days. What is going on? You know, does God need there to be 75 days? Is there anything he's got to do after the tribulation is over? What does he need 75 days for? Well, let's first, I think you look at Daniel verse 11 that we just looked at, and you will see when this 1290 or 1335 starts, look what it says there in 12... From the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, those are the starting points, right? Isn't that clear? That's when it starts, the 1290 or the 1335, whichever you're referring to. When do those happen? In Daniel 9, 27, it says this, And the beast will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's how many years? Seven years. But in the middle of the week, what is that? Three and a half years, right? You put a stop to the sacrifice, and on the wing of abomination will come one who makes desolate. You can't get around verse 27. It says that the middle of the week is when the sacrifices stop, and the statue of the Antichrist, the abomination of desolation, is set up in the temple. So it has to be after, in my opinion. So, if we got an additional 75 days between the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennial kingdom, what in the world is that interval for? What happens in that interval? And the answer is a whole bunch of things. Now, let me tell you something Fruchtenbaum believes. I don't see as much concrete evidence for it, but it makes sense to me. He says that during the first 30 days, the Lord will allow the statue of the Antichrist to remain in the temple as a reminder of sin's blasphemy and the Antichrist and Satan's absolute rebellion. God is going to do a number of things here that show, I don't know any other way to describe it, divine irony. And it's going to be very interesting to see because there are a number of things that are going to have to happen in them. And I'm, I'm going to, we're going to go through them now and look at them. The first event that will take place, and by the way, I'm dividing these events between the first 30 days and the last 45 days. Could it be that some of the things in the first 30 days that I'm suggesting happen, happen actually in the last 45 days? Yes. Could it be that some of the things that I'm suggesting either in the first 30 days or the last 40, actually are going on for 75 days? Yes. But I just did this to try and help us understand what is going to happen during this interval. Number one, there's two people that have to be dealt with. Two people that have to be dealt with at the very start. One of them is the beast, and the second is the false prophet. They're going to be dealt with first. Jesus coming back. Now, the question is, 
as he comes back, will Jesus kill both of those varlets? Some people say no. Some people say yes. I've thought through, and I believe now that I've thought through it and studied, absolutely, he's going to kill them. Why do you say that? Well, let's look first at Revelation 19, verse 13 through 18. He is clothed with a robe, this is Jesus, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, will be following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that he may strike down the nations. So what is his weapon? The sword which protrudes from his mouth, the Word of God. Two-edged sword is exactly right. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the wine of press of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. And on his robes is written, and on his thigh the name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, that's what's going on. His angels are calling the birds of heaven to come down because they're going to eat all of these people who are dead. Now, does it actually say there, yes, he's going to be killing people with that sword. Does it actually say in that passage that he is going to kill the Antichrist and the false prophet? No, it doesn't. He's saying he's going to kill his enemies, but it doesn't say those two specifically. But if we look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, Then the lawless one, that is the Antichrist, the beast, will be revealed who the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end at the appearance of his coming. Can there be any question then, God's going to slay him. Jesus, when he comes back, is going to kill those two buggers. All right, whatever you want to say. I, I feel about the same way of those two guys as I feel about Satan. I have an extreme detest for them because of what they're going to do and how evil and wicked they are. Now, other people want to say, no, he doesn't kill them. They're still alive. Why? Because in Revelation 19.20 it says this, And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped the image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. So how do you fit that? This is what the tool part is. There is a first resurrection speaking of in the scriptures, and a second resurrection. The first resurrection is of believers. The second resurrection is of unbelievers. Now, how many occurrences do we have of the first resurrection? It's not all at one time. Who is the first to be resurrected? Jesus. Jesus. He's called the what? First fruits. There's Jesus. Then there's the church. Then there's the Old Testament saints, and then there's the tribulation saints. Some people say there's three occurrences of that revelation, and the, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints at the same time, and I kind of go that way. Some people want to say no, four, two separate on the end. The second resurrection is of who? Unbelievers. All right? And guess who are the first fruits? The Antichrist and the false prophet. Do you see the divine irony there? You think you wanted to be the second member of the Trinity? Let's see of the satanic Trinity. Let's see how you like it now in the lake of fire. In fact, I'm sending you there before I send Satan. And you get to be the first thousand years there in the lake of fire. Now, what's the second event? That's dealing with Satan. Look in Revelation 20, 1 through 3. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he will be released for a short period of time. Why? Because God has another purpose for Satan. Once you go in the lake of fire, you're not coming out. He has another purpose for Satan at the end of the millennial kingdom. The third event is the judgment of the Gentiles who survived the tribulation alive. There are a large number of Gentiles who will survive the tribulation. Some have become believers. Others have not. And look first in Joel chapter 3 verse 1 and 2. For behold, in those days at that time I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. And I will gather all the nations and bring them into the valley of Jehoshaphat. 
and then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my inheritance of Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. So there'll be a judgment of all Gentiles, some who are unbelievers, some are not. Jesus spoke about that in the Olivet Discourse, starting in verse 31 of chapter 25. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them from one another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Do you want to be, would you want to be on the right or the left? Then the king will say to those who are on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire that had been prepared for the devil and his angels. The judgment of the Gentiles. A fourth event will be the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. You say, well, wait, wait, wait. What, what about the Jewish people who were saved? Almost every, no, I don't think almost. According to Zechariah, every Jew that's not saved will be dead. Every Jew that has saved, that recognizes the Messiah as the Son of God, they, so there won't be any need to disperse them. All Jews are going in the millennial kingdom. Now, it's interesting. Will you be in the millennial kingdom? Yes. Will you be able to reproduce in the millennial kingdom? No. But the people who survive the tribulation and believe will go in as human beings without resurrected bodies to start with and will reproduce. So there's going to be sex. Well, among those people. Now, I want you to think about this. Those people are going to live about 900 to 1,000 years. How much reproducing will be going on? There will be millions more people at the end of the tribulation. Anyway, we don't need to get off on that, especially with Nobler here today. So that's the fourth. The fourth event is the resurrection of the Old Testament saints together with the tribulation saints. And there will be a judgment for them like the Bema Seat of Christ where they will receive rewards. Just so you see in verse 13, which we'll talk about next time, they speak to Daniel, but it says, As for you, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into the rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel, special portion provided for him. Now, the judgment of these saints is spoken of in Isaiah 26, 19 and Daniel 12, 2. And even, let's look in Revelation 20, verse 4. I want to look at that. It says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, those who had not received the mark on their forehead or on their hand, and they came to life and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Their rewards are coming. They will be reigning with Christ along with us. The fifth event. The fifth event will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, if you'd have talked to me about this about three or four weeks ago, I said, no, no, no. The marriage supper of the Lamb occurs during the seven-year tribulation, not afterwards. While we're up there in heaven with him, that's when we're going to have. But I would have been wrong. And there's a reason. You have to understand this marriage supper is fashioned after the Jewish marital system. And when the bride is waiting for her groom... He comes with the wedding party to help carry all her stuff to her village. He takes her back to his home, to the father's, his home and the father's, where he's living with his father. He's now built a new place for them on their land. And he takes her back. He then has seven days to consummate the marriage. And then the father hosts the marriage supper for his son and his new wife. Now, we're going to spend seven years up during that tribulation, uh, during the tribulation period. We won't be here. We will be in heaven at the Father's house where Jesus, what did he say? I go to do what? Prepare a place for you. Now, whose party is this wedding supper? It's the Father's. He hosts it. Who invites the vast majority of the guests? Jesus. No, the Father. 
And who will those guests be? The Old Testament saints and the tribulation saints. And until they're resurrected, you can't have the marriage supper of the Lamb. See how that fits? This interval is amazing. And you start seeing all this stuff coming together. All right. Now, let's keep going because there's some exciting things I want to be able to share with you before we finish. The final event in the interview is to set up the millennial kingdom government. I want you to think about this a second. Revelation 20, verse 6, uh, it says, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Now, I want you to notice this a second. What did it say in Daniel 12, verse 12? How blessed are he who keeps waiting and attains the 1335 days? The same thing right here matches. Blessed and holy is the one who who has a part in the first resurrection over which the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, what is it saying are going to happen to his people? Those people are going to be priests and ones who reign, rulers. Rulers are ones who reign. Julie, let me ask you a question. You're a member of the church, are you not? And you're saved. You're going to be raptured, and you're going to be part of this group. Do you know how to be a priest? You do? How were you trained as a priest? I don't know how to be a priest. Well, yes, and we're going to be priests, but he's going to train us on how he wants us to be priests. And things are going to be different in the millennial kingdom. Will the priests have to deal with sin? No. Not going to be any sin. You're also going to be reigning. Do you know how to be a ruler over several cities, Julie? You do, huh? You learn that from being a ruler over your husband? Is that how you learn? Well, we're going to need to be trained. She always answers opposite to me. Yes. Sin will be restrained, not eliminated. You think there will be sin? Well, do you think there'll be... All right, I will agree with strained. Jesus is going to be ruling during the millennial reign with a rod of iron. Yes, but he will delegate rulership of certain areas to his people and we will be reigning with him that's not a fake reign and that's a real reign yep i'm troubled here tell me all these ladies are pointing their fingers i'm used to being pointed at though i have to admit well let's see you know in the earth up to now i'm surprised nobody said this we don't allow women to be kings or priests There's going to be no difference in heaven between males and females. Not going to be. We're all children of God and we're all part of the bride. You talk about equality? Total equality. Will it matter what skin color is going to be? Did you have a question? Yeah. So like the resurrection of the body. Yes, it will be. Your body will be resurrected. Let's say that you're a believer. Tell me your name again. I forgot. Daniel. Daniel. What a great name. This is his book. All right, Daniel. If you are a believer, you will be raptured, which I think will be soon, but it'll be before the tribulation starts. And you will be given a glorified body just as Jesus had a glorified body. You remember some things he did? He could just appear somewhere, go through walls. Do, he could eat, but he didn't have to eat. All kinds of things. So that's the kind of body that you will have. But Jesus, he's always the son. Right. But we are adopted. But we will have a resurrection just like him and have the same inheritance as him and share his inheritance. And he's doing this because he's loving us because we're like his bride. And he's going to provide those kind of bodies. No print. No, you're right. No nail prints. No scar on our side or on our feet. But he will let us touch it if we want. I hope that answers your question. If not, let me, let me, let me talk to you afterwards and I'll, I'll try and answer as best I can. I want to get through. There's some things I want to really share with you. What about this final 45 days? I think there will be two events, two key events that will occur in this final 45 days. Number one, the restoration of the earth. And number two, the rededication of the temple. Now I want you to think, look at the condition of the earth at the end of the tribulation. Daniel 7 and 9, it talks about half of the people in the world dying. What are going to happen to all those bodies? You're going to have to deal with them. Well, you know, that's going to be a problem. 
In chapter 7, verses 12 to 14, it talks about all these meteors striking the earth. People are going to have to hide in caves, like in Dante's Peak. Julie didn't like that movie, and I tried to kid her about it. But they go hide in caves because it's the only protection they have from these meteors. And what are these meteors you see? Have you ever seen some of the damage? You look at the damage they've done to the moon. They're going to be doing that to the earth. And that's just the start of the meteors, let me tell you. A third of the sea in Revelation 8 is going to be turned to blood. Well, who wants to live around a body of blood? Now, I want you to notice something, and I can't tell you where I read this. It was a while back, but it's, I've always kept it in my mind, this idea of something that happened during World War II. And now you look at this passage in Revelation 14, verse 20, and it says, And the winepress was trodden outside the city city be Jerusalem. And the blood came out from the winepress. This is picturing what Jesus is going to do in killing people. And the blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles. Let's stop there. That's like between five, six, and six foot deep. Wine will come out of the blood. And how far will it flow? 200 miles. That's from Dallas to Austin. Now, wait a second. Blood can't do that. Blood coagulates. There is no way blood's going to flow 200 miles, six foot deep. But it has happened before in the history. Now, there was a time when people said, that will never happen. It's impossible. It's never happened. It has happened now. Twice we've seen it. Twice. Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Oh, what does that portend? The use of, would Iran do it if they had it? Absolutely they would. Now, the worst of all is what's going to happen is in Revelation chapter 16, 17 to 21. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl on the earth, on the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake. Well, we've seen great earthquakes before, have we not, during this period? Yeah, but no, listen, there was a great earthquake. Such had there not been since man came upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty, the great city, Jerusalem, was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give up her cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. Every island fled away. What does that mean? Disappeared below the the surface of the sea. And mountains were not found. They came down. Do you see what's going on here? The earth is being changed like it's never been changed before, except maybe during the flood, when the mountains were made. The huge hailstones, about a hundred pounds each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Imagine a hundred pound hailstones. Now, they're, as they start, they're accelerating 10 meters a second squared, and they get to a terminal velocity of what, Mark? 120 miles an hour. So those hailstones are falling at 120 miles an hour, 100 pounds. All you got to do is take force. Force is going to equal mass times velocity squared. You, you square that speed of 120, multiply it times 100 pounds, and that's an unbelievable amount of force. Fear. That's equivalent of putting eight gallon jugs of water together because the water weighs 8 pounds per gallon. That's 96 pounds. Put those 8 gallons of water together, that's one hailstone. That's a lot. That's going to be serious and cause serious destruction. The rededication of the temple. Do you remember when we talked about this at the very start, there was a time period for a time, times, half a time. What was that Hebrew word? Time, time, half a time. Mayod. It means a sign, something important. And what was it applied to in Leviticus 23? The feasts. There were seven feasts proclaimed. Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Booths. Now, you're saying those are supposed to be signs? No, they're just supposed to be festivals. No, they're signs. How do you know that? Very simple. Jesus died on what day? Passover. He was in the grave for how long during the Feast of Unleavened Bread that year? Three days. And after three days, the Feast of First Fruits, he rose from the dead. What happened in the next feast, Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came. 
Yeah, we got three feasts that haven't fulfilled a sign yet. Feast of Trumpets. I'm convinced that's when the rapture will occur. One year on the Feast of Trumpets. It's the only feast that is on the very first day of a lunar month, and it's hard to tell which is the first day. Then comes Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. That's the return of Jesus Christ and punishment upon the wickedness of this earth. Now, I want you to focus on those for a, for a minute. Have those feasts been added to by the Jewish people? Two, I'm going to say two feasts have been added. One was Purim, which was in the time of Esther. And one, one of those feasts was Hanukkah. It's also known as the Feast of Lights or the Feast of Dedication. If you read in 1 Maccabees, it talks about what happened. You remember, this was Antiochus IV. And they, Antiochus IV came in, created an abomination of desolation, and desecrated the temple. He, he put a, a statue of Jupiter in there, prefiguring what the Antichrist is going to do in the middle of the tribulation period. Now, when the Jewish army, led by Judas Maccabeus, took back over Jerusalem, they had this temple that had been desecrated. And they had to rededicate it. Now, some people think there's only one thing. No, they had a bunch of things they had to do. They had to clean off and disinfect all the things where they'd poured the juice of a cooked sow all over it. And, and a lot of things. But the final event, they needed to light the lamps of the golden lampstand and let it burn for how long? Eight days. But they didn't have enough oil of the right kind of oil and the right mixture to do that for eight days. Only enough for one day. They lit them anyway. The book of Maccabees records that the lamp burned for eight days, even though there wasn't enough oil. Now, if that happened, it would be a miracle. Can I believe the book of Maccabees? Because it's not an inspired word of God, but it is a historical word. I used to think, I'm not sure I believe that. Then I read John 10. In John 10... Jesus left Galilee and he came down to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast. What feast did he come back to celebrate? Hanukkah, the feast of lights, the feast of dedication. And I have it there for you in the notes in John 10. Would Jesus, would Jesus know whether there really was a miracle to make it burn for eight days? Would Jesus celebrate a bogus miracle? No way. No, he wouldn't. So I believe it really did happen. And I believe it's, it's, it's serious. And there's another reason why I believe it after I studied this week that I want to show you. This was the thing that got me the most excited this week. Julia's saying, why are you so excited about this? We're on vacation. But man, as I saw this, I, I just, look, now we're going to have to rededicate the temple. There's going to be a fourth temple. And it's going to be one of two things. He's either going to do what Herod did, God is, and rebuild and remodify the existing temple. Or he's going to tear it down and build a fourth temple. One of those two. But he's going to have to deal with the desecrated temple. He's got to have it on the holy place. Because there's only one place you can build that. On the temple mount. On the place where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. But didn't sacrifice the lamb instead. You remember God gave Israel that land. Then David at the end of 2 Samuel bought it from a Jebusite named Marunah, and it belonged to them. That's where Solomon built the temple. That was the next temple was built. That's where this third tribulation temple is going to be built. That's where the fourth temple, the Holy of Holies, will sit right over that spot. Now, they've got to undesecrate that temple. They've got to rededicate it. It's going to take some time. And I started thinking, Maod, signs, does that give us? And the first thing I did, I thought, no, wait a second. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, it can be six days, five days, three days, two days, one day. Uh, yeah, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. On the year that Jesus died, it would have to be three days between the Passover and the date of first fruits, because that's what sets the boundaries for how long it'll be. Once you get to the Feast of First Fruits, how long is it till the day of Pentecost? 50 days, seven weeks and a day. 50 days exactly. Always 50 days. Now, how long is it from the day of atonement when pictures Jesus coming back to this earth till Hanukkah? 75 days. Do you see that now? What's at the end of Daniel? 
75-day interval. It's all about rededicating the temple, getting it ready for the millennial kingdom. That's what he's done. Now, before we finish, I just want to say something real quickly. From the time of Solomon to the end of millennial period, how many temples will there be, Chris? How many total temples? Question again, I wasn't listening. All right. Are you, have you been talking to Julie? No. Uh, I was thinking about all this other stuff I'm trying to absorb. How many temples were built on that, or will be built on that side of Jerusalem? Four. four. Will there be any other temples besides those four? Not in heaven, here on earth. In the new Jerusalem. Do you know a temple? Do you have anything to do with a temple? Yes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, we talked about this, Chris. You're not remembering. We had a great conversation. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her, for he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself with the Lord is one spirit. Flee immorality. For every sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the oral, immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You've been bought for a price. Therefore, glory. Now, This temple I'm talking about now, I'm going to call it the fifth temple. Who owns it? God owns it. You've been bought for a price. Now, who lives in that temple? The Holy Spirit. Now, when you have a temple and things are supposed to be happening, there's got to be a priest. Is the Holy Spirit the priest? No, No, he's God. God's not a priest. But... He has appointed a priest. It's in 1 Peter 2, 5 through 9. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Notice that royal priesthood. That means you act as a priest, but you also reign. That's us. A holy nation, people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, how does God view his temple? Before we finish today, will he do whatever needs to be done to rededicate, that is, undesecate your temple? Yes, undesecrate. You're right. Let's talk about desecration of the temple for just a second. If a woman has an abortion, has she desecrated the temple? Yes. If a man were to say to her, Hey, baby, listen, we got a problem here and we're going to have to deal with it. I'll find just the right place, just the right doctor, and I'll pay for it. Has he desecrated the temple? If the parents of that girl say the same thing, have they desecrated the temple? Did the two of them, that woman and that man who had that intercourse when they weren't married or married to someone else, desecrated the temple? That's all desecration. But what about if that man goes out and he just says, you know, I'm going to have sex with this other man. He has desecrated the temple. We need to see this. God is serious about this kind of thing. Let me say this. The person who's dwelling in that temple, if they have racial hatred, are they desecrating the temple? If they are taking some innocent little child and saying, I know you were born as a boy, but you ought to be a girl. I'm sure that you really are. And so we're going to remake you. Are they desecrating the temple? Over and over and over we desecrate the temple. Is God going to stand for that? No. He's not going to stand for it on an individual basis, and he's not going to stand for it on a national basis. And we're going to have to do something. And the first thing we have to do is make sure our temple is clean. And we're going to have to ask God, what do you want me to do to rededicate my temple to you? That's something we've got to do. That's us. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I'm so thankful that you let me share this with these people today. I thank you for giving me the time to study and to find these things. I pray that you will help me to lay my temple open to you as your Holy Spirit is there and do everything I need to do to dedicate my temple to you, especially since we're so close to the end of time. I pray the same things for my friends and neighbors and fellow classmates here that they will see the importance of getting their temple cleaned. And so, Father, protect our people here. Protect especially people who are on the point of the spear like Frank Harris. I pray that you protect our church and our pastor. I pray that you will do something in our nation to turn it away from evil and bring it back.
to godliness. Help us as your children to stand up and be brave and to speak out in love, but with power and sound judgment. I pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.